Thank you for listening to the audio podcast of the King's Crossing Church of Christ. To learn more or subscribe, please visit our website at kingscrossingcoc.com. If you're already married and you didn't already know that today is Valentine's Day, then it's probably too late to tell you. <laughs> if you're wondering why you had a very quiet car ride over here, that might be, that might be part of what's going on. Uh, it, is, it is a good day to be here. One thing I'll mention, uh, this afternoon in Kevin's uh, Zoom class at 4 p.m., you can also watch it on YouTube or on uh, Facebook, uh, we're going to be featuring Dr. David Bland from the Harding School of Theology in Memphis, and uh, he's going to be talking about the use of Proverbs for character formation. So it should, should be a great class, be a good thing to participate in. As far as how romantic it is, um, Dave's a charming guy, so... <laughs> I, would, I would recommend it. It'll be a good class. I'm going to try and uh, be there myself. But um, what I wanted to talk about today, I think today's theme actually fits in pretty well for a day like Valentine's. I wanted to talk about the importance of our companions on our Christian journey that we can't and really shouldn't try to go it alone. We've talked the last few weeks in this uh, Uncharted series about going off the map, following God into uh, unfamiliar places in this strange new world. Uh, Last week, I spoke specifically about adaptation and how our challenge as we adapt uh, to the new scenarios and the new situation. Adaptation requires us constantly to be studying and learning about the world around us. Uh, Often it involves loss of things that are comfortable or familiar, and often it involves having to kind of navigate between competing values, where maybe there's two things we cherish, and we have to try and make an informed and wise decision about which of those courses we're going to take as we move forward. So as we get started this morning... I want to to invite you to think with me about the word leader. When you think of a leader, I wonder what you picture. When you think of a leader, what is it that you envision? Do you think of just like a lone individual standing entirely by themselves or maybe something like this image with everyone else as kind of a minion to their left and right, but one person standing tall, one person with the broadest shoulders, one person who's kind of the final stop for all the issues? Is it just a singular person, an unwavering person that we picture? I was reflecting on this a lot last week, actually, when I was, uh, we were watching the Super Bowl, and especially the way people were talking about the Super Bowl. I know that a quarterback on a team is a very significant player, but isn't it interesting, I was thinking, how when we talk about wins and losses, so typically we speak of it entirely in terms of the quarterback. We'll say, this guy won the Super Bowl. And it doesn't doesn't speak disparagingly at all of any quarterback to suggest that a good quarterback, the best quarterback without a line blocking for him, isn't going to stand a chance. The best quarterback with receivers who can't catch his passes isn't going to get anywhere. The best quarterback who doesn't have a decent kicker on his team is still going to be at a significant disadvantage. So even someone who's a leader within a team, even someone who is an integral part of a team, is still part of a team. It's part of a team. Um, There's a quote I like from Ronald Heifetz. He said, no one would live in Boston without owning a winter coat, but countless people think they can exercise leadership without partners. 
pretty insightful. In these days, I guess we could have inserted Corpus Christi. I wouldn't have assumed that moving down here a few years ago, but good to have a winter coat in Corpus Christi today as well. But isn't it the case that no matter how broad your shoulders are or how tall you're standing or how determined you're walking, if no one is walking with you, you're not leading anyone anywhere. The same thing is true for us as the church. If we're trying to stand tall and be a light for Christ, but yet no one is being drawn to us or what we're doing, no one is joining in these efforts, we may not be leading anyone anywhere, certainly not to the places we're hoping to lead them. If no one is joining us, we aren't reaching enough. We're not striving enough. I came across an idea last year. Rick Leckbold gave me a book by a guy, a guy named Todd Rose, and he talks, it's called The End of Average, but one of the really interesting things in this book is that he talks about the way that people are jagged. This is the term that he uses. And he's got a bunch of illustrations of what he means, but for example, an average IQ in our country is about 100. Right, So 100 is an average IQ, so he said if you were to take two average women, two women who both have 103 IQ, people who focus on averages and status quo would say, well, those are basically similar women. But he said if you were to actually start looking at their scores and the things they're good at, they're really quite dissimilar, really quite dissimilar looking at vocabulary, knowledge, symbol searching, like there's all these different things. And he says even though you might could get the same score, the truth is, all people are different. People are jagged. And it's often the case that we might have some arenas where we are able to perform admirably, comfortably, and have other spaces in our life where it's more challenging. This is why, for example, sometimes you'll have a kid who's just an absolute nightmare in the classroom at school, but when you try to talk to the parents about it, when he's around grandma, he's a perfect angel. And that may actually be the case, but we're jagged. We have different abilities, different talents, and even in some ways, if we're similar, we bring different things to the table. We have different parts of us that we're able to summon on occasion. None of us is able to be consistent all the time. None of us can stay the eternal optimist, always moving onward and upward in every situation. We have ups and we have downs. And all of this, to me, has implications for the church because I would say, truly, there is no such thing as just an average Christian. Each of us is uniquely made in the image of God. Each of us is given specific gifts. We have different backgrounds. We have different blessings, but also different kinds of baggage, different perspectives. We're in different phases of life. None of us fits perfectly with any particular category, and we can't help but bring all of that with us, no matter what it is that we're doing or talking about. So a, a harrowing problem for us as we try to move into new territory, as we try to rethink outreach and everything else that we have to do in this strange new world that we're in, is that there will always be the temptation to just revert to the status quo. That passage that Jonathan read this morning from Numbers 14 is a pretty haunting one, a really discouraging one. So this group of people from Israel, the ones who were delivered out of slavery, Despite the miracles they had witnessed with their own eyes, despite their very real salvation from that Egyptian army, despite God parting the Red Sea and them walking across on dry land, and even despite God handing them down the Ten Commandments on those tablets to follow, despite all of those things, 
Once it got time to cross over into the promised land, what did they do? They went back to Egypt, back to status quo. They didn't go, but that's what they said. I don't think this is going to work out. We need to maybe get rid of Moses. Let's get us a new leader, and let's just go back to Egypt. It seems unthinkable, but yet all of us from time to time, certainly me included, struggle with that impulse. At the, pro- at, the, at the prospect of God leading us into something new, something bigger, when it requires to step outside of myself a bit and to reach a little further than I thought I could reach, there's some kind of little trigger in my head that says, mm, status quo is just so comfortable though. It's familiar. It's easy. When Moses led the people to the mountain and God was preparing uh, to lead this people in a way that no people had ever been led before by a deity, right? There is no precedent for the kind of relationship God was going to have with Israel. But at that prospect, they built a golden calf and then later, as we read, tried to go back to, to Egypt or at least talked about it. Once Jesus made it clear of what he meant by being the Messiah, That it wasn't just, I'm coming to help you physically fight the Romans or overthrow that government, but no, I have a grander vision, and in fact, I'm I'm going to die. Jesus starts saying all this stuff that doesn't in any way fit with their beliefs about what the Messiah was supposed to be. So what happened? Judas betrayed him. Tried to pull the rug right out from under what he was doing. Now, fortunately, God worked providentially through that, But there's always that little trigger that says, let's go with what's easiest. Let's go with what's most familiar, most comfortable. Maybe you've seen this comic strip before. It certainly describes me. On the one hand, you say, who wants change? Who knows change needs to happen? Everybody says that needs to happen, but who actually wants to do the changing? Who wants to grow? Who wants to be stretched? I have a hard time raising my hand to that. And in fact, I'll tell you candidly, in my private prayers, I am really hesitant to ever ask God to help me to grow. You know, when, when, does, that, when does that not hurt? When is that not difficult? And as a result of, of the challenge of all this, the fact that it's so hard to all be on the same page at the same time, inevitably part of working with human beings is that All of us, some of the time, just aren't able to be the best version of ourselves we wish we could be. I've frustrated with myself for many years on all the times I would say, I wish I would have, I wish I would have responded this way, but in the moment, I just didn't do it right. And sometimes I have to apologize and I have to backtrack and I have to rethink my activities. But uh, the truth is, everyone, if you work with them long enough, disappoints you some of the time. I remember I was talking with a kid in my youth group who was excited to be uh, in the youth group. This is a few years ago when I was uh, working in Tennessee, and I remember him telling me, Mark, I think you are the best, most amazing youth minister I've ever seen, and everything about this youth group is awesome. And I think what I said was something like, you need to spend a little more time with me, but be prepared. At some point, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm, I'm certain that I will. We all do that. So uh, I have a friend in ministry who has an interesting way of helping himself cope with that reality. He has on his desk these two picture frames. And what they say is exactly what you see on the screen. It says rule number one and rule number two. And you don't really know what those are unless you ask him. But if you ask him, explain to me these picture frames. He says, you know, what's, what's rule number one? Rule number one is people are jerks. Some of the time, everybody is. 
spend enough time with me. At some point, I'll be having a bad enough day that I, I just won't be very kind. He said that's part of reality is some of the time, everybody can be a little bit of a jerk. But rule number two is even more important. God loves and works through people, and so should I. We're flawed, meaningfully flawed, but God loves us, and he works through us. He uses us redemptively, and that should also be our approach and our attitude, even though it's challenging some of the time. At the prospect of trying to do things together for God, you could say the hardest part of working together is our differences, the way that we're different, but it's also the best part of working together, that we're not all the same, and that we bring different things to the table. I find it interesting that both in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul spends extended time in both of these books talking about the church as a body with different parts. So if you're wondering where that is, it's in both chapter 12, one of Romans, one of 1 Corinthians, and basically the same ideas in both places. So this is clearly a key teaching for Paul that despite the fact that you might really understand part of what you are within the church, you need everyone else. You need what the others bring to the table. We are one body with many parts, and that's a really good thing. The differences are a really good thing. Beyond this, if you look at Scripture carefully, if you want to look for any place where the Spirit is moving meaningfully through the people of God, notice that it's always in groups. There's always groups. You have Jesus, but you also have the 12, don't you? When I say Peter, I wonder if you could immediately fill in James and John, always together. When Jesus sends out the 72 to go out and to preach and to teach some people, he sends them in pairs, doesn't he? Two by two. They don't go by themselves. And there's all the different pairings that we have with the apostle Paul. You've got Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas, or Paul and Timothy. I can't mention Priscilla without you thinking of Aquila. If you're familiar with any of these stories, whenever God is doing something new, when the Spirit is at work in the people of God, it always happens where people come together, united by the love of Christ. It's always a team effort. So as we travel into this new territory, there's at least three things we should always strive to do. One of these is that we should always start with mission. Uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago about what is it that's elemental. You know, things that are truly elemental to us would mean that if we cease to be this, then we cease to be anything. The mission of God is one thing that is absolutely non-negotiable. The mission has got to be core to everything that we do. It's got to drive us. God's desire for us to reach people, to love and to welcome people into God's family. We always start with the mission. We make decisions based on the mission. But then as the, as the going gets tough, and inevitably it does, we have to stay the course. Emotions are like the weather, aren't they? Sometimes I feel motivated and excited. Some days I don't feel like getting out of bed. My emotions aren't always there for me. Sometimes my emotions are like rocket fuel. Like you never know what they're going to give you. But if we persist with our actions, if you persist in doing the will of God, a lot of times your emotions can catch up to that. Do it, and God will support you. Start with the mission. Stay the course. And very importantly, we have to stay connected especially at the prospect of challenges and setbacks, it's so easy to start kind of circling up our wagons and pulling back or mistrusting or getting frustrated 
and we cease connecting. But the one thing we've got to do as we move forward is to stay connected, to continue loving each other, talking to each other, encouraging and appreciating the efforts that we make together. I find uh, an encouraging word in the book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. This also gets quoted later, I believe in the book of Hebrews. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So here's a weird thing to think about. How do you know in your life that you are especially favored by God? You know this because you're encountering difficulty. What does God do when he wants to help you grow? He makes you uncomfortable. He stretches you. When things get challenging, when we feel especially that pressure to get angry or to pull back or to throw in the towel and quit, those are the times that we know God is especially near because God disciplines those that he loves. That doesn't always have to be a punitive punishment thing. Sometimes we can think of that discipline just as the struggle of continuing, that it wasn't easy to make it through that, but just the same, we need not to give up. I think Susan David says the same thing in in an interesting way. She says, discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. Discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. The things in your life that you're actually proud of, that you really do feel good about, that you would mention if I were to say, what are some of the things in in your experiences that define you? You're not going to talk about the things that took no effort on your part. You're going to talk about the things that were hard to persevere through, but the things that you did make it through to the other side. Discomfort ultimately leads us to meaning. I was kind of grasping for um, what's a good portrait of what our Christian unity ought to look like? How do we really get reminded of how much we need each other? Um, Todd Bolsinger tells the story of two members at a church that he attends. Their names are Gus and Hal, and uh, I think the term is octogenarian, but uh, they're, they're both in their 80s, right? So these are two older gentlemen, but wherever you see one, you see the other. Gus and Hal always go together. So the issue is, Hal is blind. Hal can't see anything. He can't see anywhere he's going, but he can stand up and walk, and for someone in his 80s, he's reasonably healthy, but Hal is a blind person. Gus is an amputee. Gus's body is not particularly strong, not particularly healthy, and he has to go wherever he goes in a wheelchair, but he's lost his legs. He's not able to walk on his own, certainly, and really has a hard time getting around, but he can see just fine, and he can talk loudly. And so anytime you go to this church, you'll see Gus and Hal, and what's happening is Hal is pushing Gus in his wheelchair And Gus is shouting out to Hal, telling him where to walk. So you've got one person who has vision and another person who has strength. But you want to talk about a couple who inspires so many people. They don't have have any pretense, do they, about trying to prove they're all self-sufficiency. You know, I need this guy and this guy needs me. And what would be really unfortunate would be for us to be able to look at a story like that and think that we need each other any less than Hal and Gus need each other. We all bring things to the table. God has brought us together as one body and one family. 
There's something so meaningful about the ways in which we can complete each other. We are jagged people. We can help fill in the gaps that exist in one another. And in fact, sometimes if there's something you see that might would drive you to be irritated, well, well, that person's got this huge blind spot and they're doing great in this area, but they're not seeing this area. You may have just found your calling from the Lord that God is showing you something that someone else just isn't able to see. Maybe God's showing you the next challenge that you need to embrace. You're able to fill in what someone else lacks. So at the prospect of following God together, even though some of the time it's hard By following God together, we will get so much farther than any of us could have gotten on our own, and ultimately we'll have so much more joy than any of us could have experienced alone. It's the shared experiences, the shared struggle, making it through together to the other side that binds us, it brings us together, and ultimately is a testimony to the world of the love of Christ. How will people know we are Jesus' followers? Jesus says it's by the love that we have for one another, especially in those cases where it doesn't even make sense why this person and that person would care so much about each other and would work together so seamlessly. But God makes these things possible. And if I'm struggling with my own level of joy, there's no better way to lift my spirits than to concentrate on encouraging those around me. By being an encourager, you also find yourself refreshed. So this morning, I just invite you to think about all that lies ahead of us, all the ways that God has perhaps uniquely gifted you for the work that is to be done, all the things that you are capable of bringing to the table. I want to invite all of us to take courage and to take hope and to take those steps that we believe God is calling us to. Perhaps this morning, you're struggling, and emotionally, you're just definitely not there. Maybe there's something this morning we could uh, pray about for you. Uh, Maybe you've never made that commitment to Christ in baptism, and you really need to step up and name Jesus as Lord, and you'd like to to do that this morning. But uh, whatever your needs are, this is a time we're setting aside that we'd be happy to respond to those needs. We would invite you to come and uh, talk to us as together we stand and sing this song.